The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are looking through the Psalms. If you have one of the Bibles in the back, I believe it's page 445. The Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible to the left a little bit. And we're doing this because we um, are looking through the Psalms as a way of understanding how to pray and how to respond to life's struggles and difficulties. And um, we've been looking through these uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm, uh, 40, uh, Psalm 50 through Psalm 55 this summer. Uh, next week, we're going to pick up, actually, um, in our series, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. If these are in the back. Next week, we pick up in 1 Corinthians, good news for bad Christians. That's what we're calling our series of 1 Corinthians. And so this morning... Uh, maybe one of the ways we all feel like we're a bad Christian is that we don't pray. And so God has given us Psalm 55 to help us and invite us into prayer. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read Psalm 55 for us. I'm going to pray for God's help to learn about prayer. And then we're going to learn more about how deeply God's heart is for us in prayer. So you guys cool with that? We're just going to get congregational feedback. I want you guys engaging. (laughs) Yes, we're good to go. Okay, we're going to put it in the first year. We're going to read Psalm 55. We're going to pick up in verse 1. I'm going to read this, and then we'll pray. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because the noise of the enemy, because the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is at anguish, is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city day and night. They go around it on its walls and inquire and trouble are within it. Iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. He used to take, we used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng, let death steal over them. Let them go down the shoal alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to you, I call to God, the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and God, and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they drew drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, 
He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down in the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live or half, live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Let's pray. Father, as we read this psalm and we hear these words, they might bewilder us or seem strange, but Lord, I think within them you have unveiled our hearts when we are betrayed and given us a pathway for stability, which is to find you in prayer. And so my prayer this morning, Lord, is that we would experience your mercy and your direction and your care for us, that we might find stability in an unstable world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Often we find ourselves at a loss for words with what's going on in life, don't we? Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, the song from Queen, Is This the Real Life or Is This Just Fantasy? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Amen. Amen. Yes? That often feels like our life sometimes. We just, we're so bewildered by what's going on. God, is this real? Am I living through reality? Or am I, please, wake me up. I can't understand what's going on. Often, uh, that's our experience, and I think that's what's going on in this psalm. There is an experience of, God, what is going on in my life? And the pathway that we're given here is prayer. And so when we talk about prayer, I just want to acknowledge every Christian feels guilty when we start talking about prayer. Like, do you pray? No, not enough. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not a Christian and you're just like, even prayer is just meditation. It's hard. Like, it's not easy. Like, a strange thing about, about this, this category of like, how to respond to the bewildering realities of life. Well, this psalm is saying prayer, and we often feel like, well, prayer is free, I don't have to pay anything for it, and I don't do it. <laughs> so, like, I'm just like, like, how horrible of a person am I that it's something free? Like, nobody's charging you to pray, and yet I don't do it. But this is what this psalm opens up when we think about, is this the real world, or is this just fantasy? This is a bewildering experience, and God's pathway for us is prayer. I think this psalm actually will begin to gravitate and maybe express a number of the things that we experience when life just does not make any sense at all and gives us some direction forward. I do want to tell you where we're going to end. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to explore what that means. And then we're going to pray when we're done with the sermon. We're going to respond. We're going to give a couple minutes just to prayer on our own. Because the point of preaching, if you want to know what's Jacob's job description for preaching a sermon, it's transformation on the spot in Jesus. And the easiest transformation on the spot we can do in Jesus this morning is just to put it right into action. We're going to pray afterwards. So if that makes you nervous, now you have the next few minutes to get ready. But when we're looking at this psalm, here's what we're going to be finding. Prayer is God's stability when life is unstable. That's what this whole psalm is about. And if you're trying to understand where we're at in this psalm, verse 22 is kind of like the pinnacle of where this psalm ends. Psalm, psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's the gravity. That's the center point. That's the sun of the solar system in this psalm. That's where the psalm is ending and wanting us to land. And amidst all of that, as we get there, what we're going to find is that David is dealing with a situation where it would seem that one of his friends has betrayed him. So you have that verse 13, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. When somebody has said something, they have betrayed him, they've stabbed him in the back, 
It's a bewildering, bewildering experience of being betrayed, a friend suddenly turning out to be a snake, and his landing point is not, God, you get him. His landing point is, here's where I find stability. God himself, and I will cast my burdens on the Lord. So that's where we're going to be landing. We're going to be saying, God, what does it mean to follow prayer, to exercise prayer in such a way that we land on your stability when life's unstable? You guys cool with that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in verse 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. We're going to first see that prayer is resting in the shelter of God's mercy. What is prayer? It is resting in the shelter of God's mercy. Verse 2, verses 2 to 3 Attend to me and answer me. He's praying, praying, God, pay attention. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. The first thing that David is showing us here is that when it comes to realities of life, there is a lot of restlessness. When bewildering things happen, when you're just kind of like, what is going on? Do you, do you have like a logical flow of thought? when things are not, don't make sense in life, you're scatterbrained, right? You do not know how to like pull things together. Like, what about this? Remember this happened? And what about that? Oh, and and what about this? And I've got a baked breakfast, you know, like, like all these different things you put together. He's basically saying, I'm restless in my complaint and I moan. I don't even know what to do with all of this. I don't know how to put it all together. I don't understand my life right now, but he's doing that towards God. God can handle Restless, scattered thoughts. Like God is not saying, when you wake up in the morning, Jacob, I want you to put together a theological tome that would impress me with your prayers. He's just saying, talk to me. And that's what David's doing. God, I don't understand what's going on, and none of it makes sense. I'm absolutely scatterbrained, but I'm just like like a shotgun shot. I am just scatterbrained towards you. Second thing he's going to show us here is how we find, in terms of prayer and restlessness, is my heart is in anguish within me. Verse four: the terrors of death have fallen upon me; fear and trembling have overcome me, and horror overwhelms me. Do you know what it's like? Eleven thirty at night, bewildering experience, and you feel the darkness outside begin to encroach inside. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do now. So-and-so has betrayed me. This situation is so extraordinarily difficult. I'm so overwhelmed by what's going on in my life. I, I don't know how to express the pain inside. That's what he's talking about. It's, it's basically a horror movie on the inside, right? Sometimes we watch horror movies to, to show on the outside the realities of the human heart on the inside. And he's basically saying, I've got a horror movie, I've got Freddy Krueger on the inside, and I don't know what to do. I'm anguished inside. And then verses 6 to 8, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in the wilderness, I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. How many here have ever wanted to have wings like a dove? I prefer eagles, personally. But what he's saying is, I want to escape. I want out. This is so bewildering. This is so confusing. This is so anguish inside. I want to be anybody else but me. Does that feel familiar? Because that's what he's saying here. 
maybe even so darkly, I would rather not wake up tomorrow. That's, that's what the psalm is giving words to. I don't want to be in this anymore. I want out. If, I, if they had jets back then, David would have been saying, I want to pull the ejector seat. I want to get out. I want to land somewhere in the, in the forest, right? I want to far away and lodge in the wilderness. He wants to be Snow White, right? With the little dwarves, like out in the middle of the wilderness, away. That's where he wants to go. I find it encouraging that the psalm gives us words to talk about, honestly, what it feels like to be absolutely blindsided by life, right? We've all felt, I don't know how to keep my head straight. It's all painful on the inside. I want to get out of this. Like, we know what that's like. But verse 1 is where David, David begins for us, right? Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. That, so he's going he's gonna to talk to God about all the problems in his life. Maybe you should be talking to God all about the problems in your life. But the beginning point for David is, I need your help. I need mercy. I need you because David's going to say, here's all the things on the inside. But I, I, I just want to have freedom from myself, God. I, I want you to help me get, get out of my own head. And David goes on to talk out of his own head but he's doing it towards God to get his mercy because he wants God's help. Right, when he's got bewildering things going on, he's being betrayed by his friends, he is going to say, God, I need you to deal with this, but the primary focus of his, of, on his heart is, God, I need your mercy for me. I need your help for me. I need your mercy because without you giving me your mercy, this isn't going to get any better for me. Often when things are going hard, we need to get outside of ourselves. I'm going to quote a lot from this book here. I don't know if you guys have mentioned Tim Keller. I mean, he might as well be the pastor of this church. Tim Keller, book on prayer. I'm going to throw up a couple quotes from him on this, from this book. But prayer, it talks about prayer being, prayer gives us relief from the melancholy burden, melancholy burden of self-absorption. Prayer gives us freedom gives us relief from the melancholy burden of self-absorption. We often, when things get hard, it pressure cooks us into our own head and into our own heart. And what David is showing us is that the way to get out of that, the way to break free from self-absorption is prayer, is a God-directed sense of, here's all the pressure cooker of my life, but God, I need you to give me relief. I need you to give me direction. I need you to release me from being so self-absorbed. Tim Keller goes on to say, when life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Good day, wake up, breakfast actually, like I don't break the egg yolks, you know, like day starts out well, I have a decent day at, at work, I don't feel like I need to pray. But when things get hard, suddenly I'm foxhole praying, God, help me out. He goes on to say, Tim Keller, again, the real pastor of this church, it is remarkable that all, in all of Paul's writings, in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. See, that's what this psalm starts out with. 
not a change for circumstances. God, I need your mercy in the difficulties of life. That's a strange thing. It's odd, right? We often pray, God, would you change the situation? Would you fix my boss? Would you correct my friend from, uh, you know, saying nasty things about me? Would you fix these problems? When in reality, the heart of prayer is, God, I need your mercy for me, for the situation that I'm in. I can't change those things. God could change those things. But I find it fascinating that this observation that the New Testament contains no appeals for change in circumstances. Right, just to remind you that the entire New Testament church was under the, the heel of the boot of the Roman Empire. There was a lot of things to ask for God's changing in circumstances. Maybe there's a lot of circumstances in your life that feel bewildering and confusing, and I don't know what to do with this. And Dr. Keller is helping us see, just like verse 1, God, rather than changing those things, I need your mercy here. I need your mercy in my own heart. Suffering and difficulty aren't inherent punishments from God. They're not God swatting us around but they are used by God to get our, get our eyes off ourselves and off our precious treasures in our own lives and onto God. That's, what he wants, that's where he wants our eyes. Not on our problems, on him for, our mercy, for his mercy. So if this is how David is responding, what is the mess in your life, the bewildering things in your life that you need God's help for now? What are those things? You can scatterbrain those things with God. You can say, God, I want out. I don't want this. This is not what I want. But what this psalm is directing you to say is, but God, more importantly than getting out of these situations, more importantly than you changing the situations, more importantly than having like all of my head, my head thoughts together and having my heart in order, God, I need you and I need to rest under the shadow of your mercy. So do it now, God. That's what this psalm is promising that he does. That's what prayer does. Prayer gets us under the shadow of God's mercy, not so that things change in our lives, but so that we change under him. So what's the mess that you need God to give you his mercy for? You can take it to God. You can take your mess and just say, bleh. That's okay, prayer. I just, here's all of this. Help me out. All right, we're going to pick up here verse 9 through 19. So if prayer is resting in the shelter of God's mercy, the next thing we're going to be looking at is prayer is redirecting our anger to God's justice. So what's going to happen here, verse 9 through 11, we see that God is, uh, that there is a lot of damage that's being done by whatever the bewildering situation is going on in David's life and that it's personal, verses 12 to 15, and that it's persistent and constant, and that it's not letting up, verses 16 to 19. So I'm just going to read through these, and we'll kind of comment on them, and then we'll swing back. Destroy, O Lord, that divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are, are within it, ruins in its midst, oppression and fraud. They do not depart from its marketplace. If he had a Facebook account, he would be saying, all my friends are posting on their walls and spending messages to each other, and they're spreading all these lies and disaster and destruction, and I can't stop it. 
That's, that's what's going on. It is a cancer. It's spreading throughout his network of friends. He can't stop it. It's going on constantly. It's happening when people are talking during the day. It's happening when they're texting at night. It's unending. And he's getting all these kind of like, hey, bro, so-and-so said this about you. Bro, what's going on with this? That's not even what's going on. You know, that, that's sort of like, I can't control the situation. It's getting out of control. Verses 12 to 15, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it, right? Hey, enemy doesn't like me, right? Trump versus Clinton, you know, whatever. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, a companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in a throng let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. He is saying, it is somebody that he sat with in church that was his friend, that sat with him at his missional community group table. Somebody that was his close friend that helped him understand and grow in Jesus. Somebody who helped him walk with God then stabbed him in the back. That is bewildering. They said, what about me? What did they say? What happened? It's so bewildering, he can't even understand it, right? Verses 16 and 19. So it's, it's not just kind of like somebody random. It's somebody personal. It's somebody deeply personal to him. And then verse 16 and 19 but I call to you, God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, from the many arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old because he, they do not change and do not fear God. It is constant and persistent. And his response is to direct all of the injustice and the feelings that he has at God rather than at these people, right? It is deeply personal. It is constant. It's not letting up. And he is taking this to God. And honestly, these verses might seem a bit stark and may shock us like, this is in the Bible. I can't believe he's saying, I want these people to die. But maybe the Bible is just being a little bit more honest about what we think on the inside than we want to be, right? Notice this isn't a command or a promise that is going to happen but if God's taking suggestions, here's how I would like you to handle the situation. Oh, divine master of the universe, let me give you some ideas of how to handle this. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, how many of us have thought that? If God were taking suggestions for how to handle the situation, there would be a gravestone right over that person's head. But directing those towards God, so to speak, venting towards God, it's not saying that God will inherently or he promises to do that, but it is a way of saying, God, I need my heart reoriented towards a situation. I need my soul to be cleansed from this evil that I want to happen. I need your help, God. I need you to handle this. While I can give suggestions, you're the one in charge, and I need you. Right, this is a pra these are prayers and not commands of what God must do. But... We all know that feeling, second half, 17, I utter my complaint and I moan, right? Have you ever felt this 
this is wrong what's happening. This is not right what's happening. What has happened is not what God wants. And I don't know what else to do with this. Does anybody see what's going on here? (laughs) You ever had that feeling? I've said that a lot recently. Does anybody else see this? Because this does not make sense. This is not right. Like, this is wrong. God, you've got to do something. But notice the first half of that verse, and this is where I want to drop into some practicals for us. How do we, how do, we do this prayer thing at God, with God, to be directed and changed by God? First half of verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. If we have the promise that God hears my voice, right, the creator of the universe, the one who created the stars way far away. Is there an alarm going off? Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm not trying to direct anybody's attention to our dear friend Mike over here. If God created the entire universe and upholds it by the power of his word, and if he were to stop speaking the universe into existence, we would all, just like Thanos snapping his fingers, cease to exist. If that's the one that we are talking to, and then verse 17 ends with, and he hears my voice. He hears you. Do you not then want to get him on the phone on a regular basis to unload your heart on? If he has promised to hear you, So then we have beginning of verse 17, evening, morning, and at noon. You might call this his rhythm, what's in his Google calendar, every day, morning, noon, night. He's got like a little 30-minute block prayer. You might call this a liturgy. I know that some people are allergic to those words because they're religious and they seem a little constraining, but Paul or David has set up a, a pattern in his life so that he is regularly praying before the Lord. He is regularly going to God. I need your help. God, here. I know in the morning I'm going to need your help. I know at noontime I'm going to need your help. I know at night I'm going to need your help. I probably need your help all through the day, but I've got things to do and I've got things to attend to, so I need to put it in my schedule. This is his rhythm of getting his heart centered and refreshed and unloaded with God. It is a regular rhythm of prayer that, frankly, me and my independence, freedom-loving self makes me feel very constrained. I begin to feel like if I were to do this, you're telling me what to do. I live in New Hampshire, live free or die. But there is a rhythm here of getting our hearts underneath God, under the shadow of his wing, to redirect our lives towards him. That is a pattern that we need to pay attention to. So, what I want to do is I want to read a section from Keller's book on prayer to kind of underline why this is, this. we all fail to do this. I would just assume, I'm just going to venture to say, unless you're a Benedictine monk, praying seven times a day, we probably all struggle to get a rhythm of prayer going in our lives. Keller has a very helpful analogy that I want to read for us of how he got into prayer. This is, by the way, Tim Keller's book just called Prayer. First line of chapter one. In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall of 1999, right, as a comment, just a, Tim Keller is a pastor, was the pastor of the church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, New York City. So just to kind of give you context for what he's about to say. 
In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife, Kathy, struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. Finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So just pause for a second, okay? His wife has a chronic intestinal issue that is very painful. He has been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. He is a pastor who is paid to pray and acknowledging that he doesn't, pastoring a city that has been hit by a massive terrorist situation. Okay. At one point during all of this, my wife urged me to do something with, with her. We had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. And we remembered it. She said something, as we remember it, she said something like this. So here's what I want us to pay attention to. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you, go, would you not go around? Uh, would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be, a, it would be so critical that you wouldn't forget you would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because, we're all, because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. Maybe it was the power of the illustration. Maybe it was just the right moment. Maybe it was the, whole, the Spirit of God. Or most of all, most likely of all, it was the Spirit of God using the moment and the clarity of the metaphor. For both of us, the penny dropped. We realized the seriousness of the issue, and we admitted that anything that was truly non-negotiable and uh, non-negotiably necessary was something we could do. This was more than 20, 12 years ago, and Kathy and I can't remember missing a single evening of praying together, at least by phone, even when we've been separated by hemispheres. Did you pick up the illustration here? Is what he's talking about? If you and I had a medical condition but we were gonna die within hours of not taking the medicine, and we were gonna die, you know I'd be taking that pill. I'd be taking like two, just for like backup measure, you know? And yet the, the cure for the soul's pain and struggles in life is prayer, and we often just think, I'll go to bed. I've got more chores to do. So that's why I emphasize here verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon. A rhythm of prayer in our, life, in our lives that focuses us to just simply say, God, I need my heart tuned to you. I need your help. I need who you are for me right now at these various moments of the day is a rhythm, a liturgy, a pattern of life from the Bible that I think is prescribed because we just need it. And we're so often just idiots about prayer. 
So again, I just, I'm not going to belabor the point, but I just want to throw out another resource because I'm just trying to equip you for this. This book I mentioned a few months ago, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose in an Age of Distraction. There is an entire chapter on setting up prayer rhythms in your life, which I have found massively helpful. And just as a Simple things that he he mentions. This is Justin Early. Some of you have meant, some of you have gone on to read it because you guys are my homeboys and you guys have figured out this book is like for real. Awesome. Just says, look, do written prayers. Like write out a prayer of just like every morning before you go to go to work. It could just be simply two lines. God, I need you today. I need your help. Would you please give me your mercy and grace in Jesus? Boom, done. Right. I'm not saying like you guys have to write like the Westminster Confession of Faith for your morning every day. You know, I'm just saying just a prayer to redirect your heart towards God. Setting alarms in your phone to be like, I'm just going to set an alarm off to remind me to pray for the next five minutes. Whatever I'm doing, I'm just going to stop and pray. Right. It could just simply be um, praying. Um, what are the things I threw up here? Kneeling in prayer is a great way of saying, I want, to, I want my body to reflect what I need from God. I am in submission to who he is. And, sorry, being okay with repetition. Like, I know some of us, like, we're evangelicals, and, like, we love, like, the new exciting thing or whatever, and we're like, oh, those Catholics and all those Anglicans, like, they do the same thing all the time. It's like, you know what? It's really okay just to do the same prayers over and over and over again. Like, that's okay. I've been, I've, have in the last few months been trying to implement in my own life, praying through the entire book of the Psalms every three weeks. So I do a few in the morning, I do a few at night, and Michelle and I do some together. If you want to see the, with the pattern that I put together, I'm more than willing to share it. It's not for everybody, but it's what's worked for me and just getting my heart redirected towards God on an hourly basis, on a regular pattern. Because the reality is that if there's anything that's true from this psalm, when life gets hard, that's not the time to start to put new, new things into place, right? right? When things get hard, that's not when we're suddenly kind of like, oh, I think I'm going to start praying three times a day. Actually, when things are easier, that's when you put things into place, have the rhythms in place so that you are redirecting your heart on a regular basis towards God. So what's your pattern going to be? Maybe you've got one. I'd love for you to share that with, uh, with folks and talk through. Just say, you know what, I'm not trying to boast, but I've found a lot of benefit from doing prayer in my life in this way. You guys tracking? We're cool? Okay. We're going we're gonna to finish up here. We're going to end with the last few verses of the psalm. Prayer is relying on God's unchanging covenant. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter. But war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So he's basically just kind of saying, look, this friend of mine, he said all the right things. He was cool. He hung out. He gave me good advice. He helped me understand the Bible. But inside, his heart was full of war, and eventually his words turned to daggers rather than help. Right? And it wasn't just that he turned out to be a bad person. Is that there's like an implicit agreement in friendship where we have like a covenant. We have a promise with each other. We're going to beat, we got each other's back. And he violated that covenant. He broke that promise, you know. It's not just like, well, he said mean things about me, but there's like a trust factor that's been broken here. And then here we come, verse 22 again. We're turning back to what we started with. Verse 22, the very center of the gravity of this psalm. He finally gets through amidst all the chaos and distraction of life. His cluttered mind centers on this one thought. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous one to be moved. 
here is this great promise. Now, I want to drive into one word here, cast your burden on the Lord. What does he mean by that? When you think of the word burden, I generally think of like exceptional things in life that are just really hard. But the word that's used here in the Hebrew actually just literally means your lot in life. Whatever's going on, whatever's just a part of what your life is, that's what he has in mind. It's not just kind of like exceptional circumstances like I just got pulled over by the police for running the red light and this is a burden that I'm going to have to bear. This is like I am fill in the blank. Married, single, divorced. I've got things going on with my kids. I've got things going on with my parents. I've got things going on with work. I've got things going on with my uh, you know, groceries. I've got things going on with my car payments. I've got things going on all over. Whatever that is, whatever, just you think of what's the last week of your life been like? It's just your lot in life. It's just the way things are, right? It's things that you can't necessarily even change, right? Like, my car is a real, a real pain. Well, I can go get a new car, right? But these are things that are like, these are just the way things are. And that's what he's saying. Cast your lot in life. Cast all of your life, the things that are responsibilities you just can't get out from underneath. Cast all of that on the Lord. That's what he has in view. What is all the things that are going on in your life that you can't fix? The invitation Cast them on the Lord and the promise, and he will sustain you. Sometimes we'll use the phrase, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. It gets kind of used in culture. I don't think that's true. I don't know about your life. We have four boys. I have rent to pay. I had to figure out groceries. So I'm so grateful for Aldi. I had to figure out groceries for my four boys. Amidst all of that, I'd like to stay married to my wife and maintain a good relationship with her. I'd also like to be a pretty decent pastor and a good friend. Those are all the things in my life that are just kind of like surface level. This last week, I listed, I, I was like, I'm going to apply this verse. And then within three minutes, I wrote out 25 burdens in my life. Just where are things going? Anything. Those are the things. That's the context that is too much for me to bear on my own. And so the invitation of this psalm is to say, cast all of those things in your life onto the mighty shoulders of your God, whose shoulders are the only shoulders in this world that can carry all the burdens of your life, right? And the fantastic thing about this is that he not only does it for you, but he does it for other people. And the reason he can do this, the reason he can promise to do this is because Jesus himself knows what it's like to be betrayed and overwhelmed and crushed by the burdens of life. That's what the cross is. That's what the gospel is all about. Jesus taking on the burdens of your life, which primarily is the wrath of God for your sin and all the ways in which you have offended God and your weaknesses and shame and taking them and bearing that burden hung between heaven and earth so that that burden and those sins and all the things that would crush you can be annihilated by the, by the mercy of God in his death. And then he rises from the dead to give new power and new life as he carries your burdens right beside you. Right? That is the shape of the gospel. It is a burden-taking, burden-relieving gospel that says all the things about your life that you could not fix or get out from underneath whether it's the consequences or shame of your life or just the blah of life, that's what he comes to take. That's what he comes to give you power for. Now we get God's unchanging stability because of Jesus. 
I don't want to make this about myself, but can I just give you an illustration of my, from my life as a pastor about how this plays out? At the end of Colossians 1, Paul gives some voice to how Psalm 55 verse 22 plays out for the pastor. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, which means I'm not adding to what Jesus has done. I'm taking what Jesus has done and I'm giving it to other people. Giving it to the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So that's the King's Cross. The King's Cross, God chose to make known how great among you are the riches of, the, of his glory and the mystery of Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is illustrating what Psalm 55 verse 22 looks like in the life of a pastor. My job for you is to present everyone mature in Christ. That's what I'm aiming for with each of you. It is a burden. It is a responsibility. It's not a begrudging burden, and it's not something that I hate. It's actually something I really enjoy and I like to give my life to, but it's hard, right? If you think about your own growth in Jesus, it's hard to get where you're at. But my job is to come alongside that and help you grow in it, and it is just overwhelming to me sometimes to try to not only do it for myself, but to do it for other people, but I want to do it because God's called me to do it. This is what's called any pastor to do. And it's not to be done begrudgingly, but verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all, not my energy, all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, Paul is capturing, I think, what Psalm 55, 22 looks like in our life. When we cast our burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you, it is God's power that you receive through prayer that you're casting your stuff on him and then you get up and you go and do it, right? I'm not saying it's like some like miraculous, like, oh, now there's a clown trick and now you're able to have to go able to go do it. It's actually living out the burden of your life, whatever that you are called to do, whatever the bewildering circumstances that you're trying to be faithful amidst, when you stand up and walk into them with Jesus, that is his power working in you that he sustains you by casting the burden on him. There's a mystery here about how prayer works and how we tap into this. But I'm trying to point at something to say, the only way to live out your life today and this week, whatever the responsibilities are, whatever it is that you're trying to be faithful in, you will only find the, prayer for, the power for that through prayer. Now, that could just be, God, I need your help right now. Help me. It could be 10 minutes of prayer. It could be hours of prayer. But it is prayer that satisfies, that gets our hearts stable in who God is amidst the instability of life. Amen? Okay. I'm going to pray. Bill's going to come up. He's going to play. What we're going to do is we're going to apply this on the spot. We're going to spend the next couple minutes praying, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, as we try to live out and enjoy who you are as we try to understand these psalms 
as we try to learn what it means to pray, God, I pray that you would help us. I feel absolutely inadequate. But you are sufficient and you strengthen us. And so I pray that as we we turn to you now, that we would find your stability in our unstable lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.